Amen, amen. Well, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, whether you're watching online or in our lobby or in this room. Welcome. What that video was of Doug and Alex is a picture of what we call multi-generational discipleship. See, we have a big belief here that what, what the Bible teaches is the wisdom of the old with the strength of the young, right? Is it good for all old people to be together all by themselves all the time? No, right? What we call that is a nursing home, okay? Is it good for young people to be all by themselves with all of their passion? No, we call that a nightclub, okay? We don't want a nightclub, we don't want a nursing home. We want men and women in different ages and stages of life investing in each other. And let me just say what's so encouraging. I, I meet lots of older men and women. When I say older, I just mean above 50, okay? okay? When, I meet, when I meet those of you who are over and you're above 50, I say, why are you here? Because I ask that question a lot. Why are you here? How'd you get here? Why'd you, why you stay here? And the answer, I mean, I hear a lot of answers, but one of the answers is I just, it's all the young people. It's all the young moms. It's all the young dads. It's all the, the, the singles. It's all the new married. And either we made mistakes or we've learned a lot and we paid the dumb tax <laughs> and we want to help other people. And so let me just say, if that's you and you've joined our church to invest in the next generation, thank you. Uh, what we do here is very, very, very simple. Not easy, but simple. We're about opening up our Bibles and opening up our lives. That's what you heard in that story. You open up your Bible. It's like, hey, here's what I see in the Word. You open up your life. Hey, here's what I've seen in the world. And you just keep doing that. Now, let me just say this, because then we're going to pray and dive into 2 Timothy. We had two goals for this series. The first goal was, hey, we wanted everybody to go to the Word of God every day for a word from God. And we gave you the Acts study. You don't have to use it, but it's a tool, it's a resource to help you go to the Word of God every day for a word from God. The second uh, desire, goal, purpose, prayer of this series was that every one of you would take your next step if you're not in community to get in a group. For many of you, that means you're going through the weekender. I guess you listen because we have over 140 people signed up for this weekender. So thanks for taking your first step. Thanks for taking your next step. Thanks for overwhelming our staff, okay? We're excited about it. We're, we're still gonna leave it open. There's still some more room, August 13th and 14th. We're just gonna make it happen. If you wanna get connected, it's important. We don't want, Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not a spectator sport and you can't do it from the sidelines. So what we wanna do is I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna dive in. We've only got a couple sermons left couple passages left in uh, the book or really the letter of 2 Timothy. So let's pray, ask God to speak to us powerfully today through his word. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thanks for Doug and for Alex. I thank you that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of stories like that in our church. Sometimes it's just a, an older brother discipling a younger brother, an older sister discipling a younger sister in Christ. Lord, I thank you for the men and women who've come here and they've just, they've had a vision They've had a vision to invest in young marriages. Thank you for the premarital counseling and the, and the counseling of young couples that happens in this church. Thanks for all the moms and dads who've come alongside and said, let me, let me help you. Let me give you some resources. Let me give you some insights into what it's like to be a parent. Lord, thank you for the older generation who's come in here and spoken to us and helped us. Here's how to do finances. Here's how to have a career. Here's how to balance your personal life with your professional life. Here's how to follow Christ long-term into old age. We thank you for all these people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 14 through 17. So only four verses today, which means this is going to be a short sermon. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. It's not going to be a short sermon. Get ready. No, we're, we're going to cover four verses. This is, you know, maybe the most important part of uh, the, the letter of 2 Timothy. I, I, and, and maybe in some ways, this might be the most, one of the most important sermons I've ever preached at this church. I'm not saying it's going to be the best sermon. <laughs> but but the, one of the most important sermons because it deals with what we deal with every week, which is the word of God. And here's what I want you to know, that here's the background for 
the background for 2 Timothy and what, because it's always like nice to know, like why is Paul writing what he's writing to Timothy? Here's why. The Bible is being attacked. That's what's happening to Timothy. The Bible is being attacked, and, and we'll see this next week, and Timothy's preaching is being undermined and said that it's not important. Now, do we live in a society today that tends to attack the Bible and undermine preaching? The answer is yes. And here's what, here's the big message if you have to leave early today. Here's, here's the question. Do you believe that this is a word about God or do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? That's the two views. Every person on planet earth is going to fall into one of those categories. They're going to go, your religious studies professor, okay, at your university is going to go, hey, this is just a word about God. It's not actually the word of God. A word about God means, hey, it's, it's man's, it's our ancestors' ancient attempt to grasp at the divine. It's a word about God. Put it next to all of the other words about God. Or do you believe that it's the word of God? Is it, is it speculation about God or revelation from God? And I want to read you 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17, because, and when I want us to read, I, I want us to be honest about this. Do we really believe it is the word of God? Because here's the thing about belief that's really interesting. You would think, and I'm included in this, you would think if I asked you, what do you believe? You think you'd be able to tell me, but it's actually not that easy. Why do people need to go to therapy? Why do people need counseling? Why do we have psychology? Why do we have sociology? Why do we have the study of anthropology? I know why, because it's not obvious what we believe. We're, you, know, you don't know what you believe until suffering comes into your life. That's actually the only way you can actually know what you believe for certain and for sure is for suffering to come into your life. And then you'll be reintroduced to yourself, whoever you really are. And you'll learn that. Now, there's one other way that you can learn what you believe. The other way you learn what you believe is you watch yourself like you would watch a stranger. So you just have to watch yourself. You're like, well, I actually go to social media first. I hardly ever read the Bible. When I do, it's, I treat it like the owner's manual for my television, right? It was like, what? It's somewhere, if something's broken or, or, or messed up, I'll go check it out, maybe. That's how most people treat the Bible. And yeah, it's the owner's manual. It's somewhere in my house. If my life falls apart, I'll turn to it. I love what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher, he said, the Bible that's falling apart often belongs to the person whose life is not. Amen. The Bible that's falling apart often belongs to the person whose life is not. So let's look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. And I want you to wrestle. We're going to end today. I'm going to tell you where we're going. We're going to end today praying about this and saying, what does it look like in your marriage and in your family and in your business and in your struggle with sin and in your temptation and in your suffering? What is it going to look like for you to go, I'm recommitting that this is the word of God, not just a word about God. Let's read together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, Paul says this all the time in the letter. He's showing contrast. Timothy, you need to be different and distinct. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's scripture. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's that famous verse. Maybe one of the first verses a Christian memorizes. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul writes this because Timothy's gonna have to decide daily, do I believe this is a word about God or do I believe that this is the word of God? And it's going to be attacked. Just so you know, the Bible is attacked right now. It's going to be attacked in your life. It's going to be, it's attacked every time a middle schooler or a high schooler meets somebody who believes differently than them and differently than their parents. That's a weird feeling. Somebody believes very differently than my mom and dad do. Somebody believes very, very differently than me. We don't like being around environments like that. The Bible is going to be attacked and you're going to have to say, and you're going to have to decide now and every day, do I believe that it's a word from God, or a, sorry, a word about God or the word from God? Now, how is it attacked today? Well, it's attacked multiple ways. For example, in 2018, GQ Magazine, and I don't recommend that you read GQ Magazine, but GQ Magazine, the editors, not just an opinion, the editors came out with 20 books that you don't need to read. GQ, I mean, who's turning to GQ for literature advice? <laughs> Whatever. So, so they came up and they put on the top of the list books you don't need to read. Thank you, GQ, the Bible. Now you've got, Vol Vol you ever hear of a guy? So some of you like GQ, that's more modern. Okay, you ever hear of a guy named Voltaire? Voltaire, he, you know, famous philosopher, he basically comes and he says, he's from France, he comes and he says, the Bible will be useless in a hundred years. Science will disprove it, philosophy will override it, technology will change our lives so much. Well, well, here's what's interesting. Voltaire dies and his house goes up for auction. This is a true story. And God has a sense of humor and God always gets the last laugh. The French Bible Society bought his house and printed Bibles in his house. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, okay? Um, it, it, here, here's what else I want us to know so about the Bible, because these are all foundational things, because he's saying, but as for you, he's going to talk about how you need to, he's going to, this whole section is how Timothy needs to live differently. And, and so what he's going to, here's one of the main things you need to understand about the Bible. The Bible created the church. The church did not create the Bible. So a, a wrong way and a religious way to view, what you'll hear if you go to, you know, the religious department at UNC, you know, the religion department at some university, you're, they're going to say something silly like, well, do you know that a bunch of old dead guys, they wrote the best they could think of. And it's really oppressive and the morality is, you know, not very good anymore. And it's outdated and it's antiquated and it's, you know, they weren't very smart, which is never a good thing to think that your ancestors weren't smart, right? Because <laughs> if they weren't smart, we wouldn't be here. But, uh, but then they weren't very smart and this was their best attempt and then, and then and it cre kind of created the church. It's like, well, no, that's not, that's not what happened. Or the church created the Bible. What happened is the Bible created the church. The story of the Bible, and this is one of the ways to understand Genesis to Revelation, okay? The first book to the last book, is it's God's people gathered in God's place around God's word. What's happening in the garden? Adam and Eve, wake up, boom. God's people, they're in God's place, the garden, they're listening to God's word. What, what is the climax of the book of Exodus? Moses, get everyone together and teach them my word. What, what is Jesus Christ doing? He's the living word who comes. And what does he do? Affirm and teach and preach the word. That the entire uh, story of scripture is God bringing his people in his place to hear his word. This is what, we, this is what we're doing. We are a word-centered, word-saturated church. You're like, this is all we do. You're right. You know, it's like, what, why did, it's unique. I mean, we'll talk more about this next week when we talk about preaching, but the fact that what we've done is to say um, over half of a church service is simply given to the teaching of the word is a unique thing. And when we're not teaching the word, we're praying it, we're singing it, <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're celebrating it. 
And so look what he says here. He says, but as for you, here's the first command, to continue. And some of you, this is what you need to hear. It's like, did you become a Christian yesterday? Well, then continue in your faith. Well, have you been a Christian for three decades? The, the call is always to continue, which basically means we've never arrived. We need, you, you never outgrow the grace of God. You never get to the point where like, you know, I, I think it was Jerry Bridges who said, uh, he was a Christian author who died in the last couple of years. Uh, Jerry Bridges said, your in your best days, you still need the grace of God. And on your worst days, you're not outside of the grace of God. And that's a good thing to know that we've never arrived. And so how, how do you think about continuing? Well, a couple things. When you think about continuing, and we want to be, and you'll see this because we're going to see at the end today that Paul says that scripture is profitable. Profitable means it's helpful, it's practical, and it makes a difference in your life. So the way that we teach here is to be helpful, to, to be practical, and for it to make a difference in your life. And that arises out of scripture. So here's how you continue in your faith. You always ask, what's my first step? What's my next step? That's it right? It's like, well, what's my first step? I, I'm newly married. What's my first step? And you look at scripture. What's my next step? What's my first step? What's my next step? And here's the truth. You can't continue if you don't connect and commit with others. This is, this, and so let's just, you know, let's be honest here. And I know that, I know church is no place to be honest, but let's just for a moment try, okay? Um, some of you are, and I don't know each of your stories, but let's just admit it. Some of you are in the exact same place you've, you've been in for a long time. You know, it gets real quiet here when you say things like this, but you are. You are in the exact same place, and your wife's been saying the same things to you, your, your husband's been saying the same things to you, or as you get older, your kids start saying the same things to you. And you, you're great at making excuses, you're terrible at making plans, and you've never really decided, I'm really going to commit, and the way that I'm going to express my commitment is through connection. It doesn't have to be here. You guys can, there's lots of great churches in our city, but it's, I've got to commit myself meaningfully to a group of people in a strategic and consistent way. He says, That's what, this is what we do, we continue. And, and, he, and he says, but as for you, we, it, what, what, the, what the Bible does is it creates a counterculture, it creates an attractive alternative, it, it creates a distinct and different community. And what he's gonna do now is for the rest of the time, he's going to encourage Timothy about the word of God. And the first thing he's gonna tell Timothy is, Timothy, the word of God was given to you by God, but it was taught to you by man, or really by your mom and your grandma. I want you to see this. Look at verse 14. He's going to encourage Timothy. Here's what he says. It says this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. It's interesting. So he's going to say one of the reasons to believe the Bible is the quality of people who taught it to you. Wow. You ever wonder why we care so much about who teaches our kids ministry? Why do we background check people? Why do we have character assessments? Why do we care so much? Why do we have a massively long elder process? One of the things, we, we wish we could get community, group, community groups up quicker. We wish we could have more community groups. Part of it is finding the right man, making sure that he's ready to lead the group because we want the quality of life to be there so that people come to community group and go, I don't know if I believe everything, but he's got a great marriage. I don't know if I, if I, there's a piece about his life or, and him and his wife's life. Because so, sometimes we need to see other people believe something before we can believe it. So here's what he says. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood. This is the second time Paul talks about his childhood. Paul talks about Timothy's childhood. He does it in chapter one and now he's doing it again. Right? And we've got a lot of families in here, a lot of families with young kids. Don't overlook how important your investment in your children is while they're in the home. George Barna, who does lots of surveys and studies, he recently came out and said, from the best that he can tell, 
a child's worldview is fixed by age 13. And your worldview is the lens through which you see life. And one of the great things a parent can pass on to their kids is a, a vision of God and a vision of life that's God-centered and Bible-saturated and missions-minded and Christ-exalting. So he says this, but as for you, continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So he talks about the quality of life of the people who taught you the Bible. I, I, you don't know these people as I say their names out loud, but I think when I think about my life, I think about Tim Gartner. Tim Gartner is a guy who, when, when, it's weird now that I'm getting older, but he was probably younger than me when he started to teach the Bible to a bunch of us high school students. And he worked at the local YMCA. And he just, he was newly married and he had like a young kid or two. And I remember he used to get up and he walked us, he had this little Bible and he would walk us through the gospel of John. And it was so evident that his life was being transformed. And he'd invite us over and I saw his marriage and I saw his family and I thought, man, he walks with God. I'd like to walk with God. His life's changed. His marriage is different. His family's different than everything I've ever seen. I think about my first, first youth pastor, Pastor Colin. He's now a pastor and he pastors a church in Idaho now, but he, he's just an incredible guy. And I remember his passion for Christ. I remember his passion for students. I remember his passion for world missions. I remember his passion for worship. And I just thought, I'd love to be like that guy someday. My own version of it, my own personality. But you see, great, this, this is what mom and dad should be. It's like, look, mom and dad are awesome. Maybe I don't want to do everything the way they did it. But the hope is that you'd say, man, that your kids would say, man, mom and dad walked with God and I want to walk with God as well. And I've got questions, but they walked with God and I want to walk with God even with all of my questions. And then you see here, see, see the importance of teaching, right? He says, who you were taught, every testimony I've ever heard at some level involves teaching. It involves, it involves, it may be your parents. It may be a peer. It may be a pastor. It may be at a conference. It may be at a retreat, right? We don't know, but you, you, for the first time, you hear the word of God taught in a clear and compelling way. So he says, this is what happens. And then I want you to see what he says next. He says, verse 15, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So we'll talk about what does he mean sacred writings? Because this is how, how should we view the scriptures? He, he gives us two things. They're sacred and they're writings. Notice he doesn't focus on the writers, but the writings. And he calls them sacred. Now we don't really use them. When was the last time you seriously used the word sacred? Probably not much. Sacred literally means special, different, or to be treated with awe. And you go, well, what does that mean? Well, it's the way that you and I treat celebrities. I was in Jacksonville, Florida a couple weeks ago, uh, checking out a church down there, learning from them. They have a Thursday night service and I was talking to the executive pastor and we're about to head to the service. And he said, Jay, just so you know, Tim Tebow will probably be here tonight. He said, he's a member of our church. He'll just come in. He'll sit right in the, right in the center and he'll be with his wife, you know, former Miss Universe. And so, so the, greatest, the greatest college athlete, one, one of them, or one of the most famous, and Miss Universe, his wife, they'll just probably be hanging out tonight just so you see him, I can introduce you and you can say hi. And I'm thinking, Tim Tebow, you know? <laughs> so I'm, try, I'm trying to worship, but I can't worship. I'm singing and I'm looking to see where he is. <laughs> And I'm, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, what, you know, you know, when, when you meet someone famous, I've done this a couple times. I'm sure you guys have met some famous people in your life. It's like, you don't want to like, let them know that you think they're awesome. You're like too much, but you want to thank them and you don't want to forget your name and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
long story short, he ended up not being there that week. But I had this moment of thinking, I had this like hour experience where I'm like, am I going to meet Tim Tebow? And he's special and he's different. And, he's, you know, and so I, it, well, but in seriously, we, we, we don't treat the word of God as special often. Uh, now, past generations did some goofy things. Hey, don't ever put anything on top of the Bible. And, you know, that, I don't know why people did that. But, 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 but what they were trying to communicate with that was, I think at some level, hey, the Bible's, it, it always needs to be the top book. You never put it on the floor. Never, it, it's the whole idea, but it's, it's actually not the, the book itself. It's what the book contains. It's the words. It's the truth of it. So it says it's sacred, and then it's writings. This is important. We have a religion of the word. I want you to understand this. Why did God write a book? That's a good question to ask. Why did God write a book? Well, there's a couple reasons. It's very much resembles his character. It's fixed, it's unchanging, it's objective, and it's outside of you. So it actually very much resembles the character and the nature of God. And writings are important because it's actually, so Peter says, this is really interesting, in either first or second Peter, Peter basically tells the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, which is this apex event in the life of Peter and James and John and Jesus. It's when Jesus, you know, basically gets visited with, from Moses and Elijah. And, and anyway, it's this dramatic event. And what's interesting is Peter's writing about it later in life and goes, we have something better than that event. We have the written down word of God. And you go, well, no, 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 no. The best thing would have been to be, be at the cross. It would be so real if we could be at the cross. And Peter's answer is, you wouldn't know what it meant. What the written down word is, the only reason you know of it, what it even means is because the, no one knew what was happening at the moment. What you have with the written down word is you have the event, the exodus, you know, the life of Abraham, King David, and you, the cross of Christ, the apostle Paul. But then you have the explanation, what it really means. So he says, cigarettes. Then he, then he tells us, look, verse 15 is maybe the clearest verse in scripture on the purpose of scripture, right? So it's like, well, what is the purpose of scripture? Is the purpose of scripture to increase your knowledge? No, not, not, that's not the primary purpose. Is the purpose of scripture you know, to reform and rehabilitate your life? No. According to verse 15, there's one main purpose of scripture, to make you wise unto salvation by having your faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's the view of scripture. So, so it's helpful whenever you look at what does it say about scripture, you gotta go, well, what does our culture say? So, well, in the church, we have some goofy ideas of scripture sometimes. Like when you're young, you know, this was very, very popular. When, you know, your teenagers and middle schools, there was a whole movement that the Bible is God's love letter to us. It, it's the weirdest love letter I've ever received. <laughs> it's really, really long. And there's a lot of violent things in there. And there's Lamentations, and there's, you know, Job, and there's the book of Revelation. That's a weird love letter. It's like, well, I know, and I know what people meant by that. They were trying to communicate the heart of God. They were trying to communicate that God loves us, and that's true. But it wouldn't be best to think of it as a love letter. Some people think of it as, I really think, and I, I've not been a Christian now for like, or I've been a Christian now for 20 years, so it's, it's been a long time since I've not been a Christian. But I, I think that the way, because I think about how I used to view the Bible. I had this big red Catholic Bible. It was so scary. I, I, I just remember it. I'm like, I don't know why. It was just big to me. And it was scary. And there was no pictures, right? And it's like, what am I going to do with this? And I remember thinking something like, the Bible is just a bunch of sayings. And it's going to be really, really hard to understand. And the truth is, and this is really the truth, the Bible's not very hard to understand. It's very hard to accept. Right? It, it's, not, it's not hard to understand. It's hard to obey. It's hard to apply. Because, we, because of our own sin nature and our need to repent. 
And so he says, okay, it's, now it's not, it's not a book of moralism. I think some people think, okay, I need to read the Bible. You'll, you'll see this. This is kind of the religious view. I need to read the Bible because I, I want my kids to turn out right. Right? I need to read the Bible because I need to get my finances in order. You know, I, I need to read the Bible because my marriage is a mess. Now, and it can help you with all those things, but those are secondary and supplemental. The primary purpose is that it's a book of salvation. It, it's not primarily a book of science. Now, it's not anti-science. It doesn't contradict science. It discloses what can't be discovered through science. Right? And now, here's what's really interesting. It was the Christian worldview that created science. So I don't know how we ever got thought of to be anti-science. So think about it this way. Science is only 500 years old, by the way. And it's like, and the whole reason that it, it happened is what happened is the, the Christian worldview says there's a difference between the creator and the creation, and God created an ordered universe. So because there's a difference between the creation and the creator, the creation can be studied. And because we believe that there's a God of order who has spiritual laws, he probably has physical laws. He has moral laws, I bet he has physical laws. And so we created the entire world and worldview that allowed science to emerge. Well, Christians don't get very much thanks for that, okay? But we did. And every once in a while, and it's exciting when it does, science catches up to the Bible. You know, you know whenever they found out not that long ago, they, you know, they discovered that the universe had a beginning. We already knew that. <laughs> gotcha. We knew that one already, right? Um, and so it's a book of salvation. All that means is when it says it's a book of salvation, salvation is about freedom and renewal. That's what it's about. That's what salvation means. You know, you don't need to be rehabilitated. You need to be rescued by God. That's what it's about. And what, what's encouraging about the Bible, for like, you know, people who love the Bible are people who know they're sinners. And when you read the Bible, it gives you language. You're like, I knew I was broken. I knew there was something deeply wrong on the inside. I knew I couldn't fix myself. And when the Bible reveals divine rescue, not self-salvation, there's two views of salvation in the world. There's divine rescue, which only Christianity teaches, and there's self-salvation, that I can save myself. I need to be a good person. I need to go to church. That's the religious view. Uh, today, the other view would be like, I need to shop at Whole Foods. I need to reduce, reuse, recycle. I need to ride my bike everywhere. I need to be the most tolerant person everybody knows. That would be the newer view of it. But it's like, I, I somehow need to be a good person. Christianity's like, look, you need to say, all I bring to my salvation is my sin. That's it. And I can't save myself. And the way, that I, the way that God saves me is I humble myself and ask him to save me. And, it, and, and see, one of the reasons that people believe the Bible is because no one would ever write this themselves. It's like, you know, if we were to write, how are you going to save yourself? We'd write like, eat cotton candy and ice cream. That's what we'll do. And everything will be okay, you know? <laughs> or we would do something that would make us look great. But see, what the Bible reveals is that God looks great. He sends, his, he sends himself. He sends his son. Which leads us to the next thing. He, he tells us that it's a book about salvation. And then he tells us about the inspiration of scripture. If you look at me at verse 16, this is probably the most famous verse. It says this, all scripture, right? Not some scripture, not only the parts of scripture that you like, not only the parts that are easy to obey and the culture currently approves of, but all scripture is breathed out by God. That's intimate language, right? Like if you, can, if you can be close enough to smell someone's breath, that's pretty close. Some of you are close talkers, okay? <laughs> um, that, that you've got to be pretty close to someone, pretty intimately connected to someone for them to feel, to feel their breath. This is the idea of God, by his Holy Spirit, writes scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable, useful, helpful, practical, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, what Christians believe, I'll give you a, a theological phrase, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. I, I figure if you can order a, a caramel macchiato, you can learn words like this, okay? Uh, <laughs> verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal plenary inspiration. We mean the, the very words of Scripture are inspired in their entirety, right? We, th this is important. We don't just believe the ideas. Like, the way that you get toward theological liberalism is you say things like, well, I believe in the overall message. Well, I believe in the general themes, well, I believe in the ideas. It's like, no, no, we believe in the actual written down words. And the way that we study the Bible is we use the grammatical and historical approach. <laughs> when was this written? What was he trying to say? What does these words mean? What do these sentences mean? Anyway, so th this is an interesting form of inspiration. Now, we believe the Bible is inspired, not inspiring. A lot of people be like, the Bible is so inspiring. I'm like, have you read it? <laughs> the Old Testament is super depressing and points to our need for Jesus. I wouldn't call it inspiring. Lamentations, the book of Job, not necessarily inspiring. It's inspired. Now you have to understand what inspiration is. Christians have a very unique view of inspiration. Uh, no other religion, world religion, has our view. So on one end, you've got the Muslims. Here's, a, here's what the Muslims, I'm not making fun of anything. I'm telling you, this is what the Muslims believe. They believe in mechanical inspiration by dictation to Muhammad all at once. So... Muhammad gets the entire inspiration of the entire book of Quran all at once. And he writes it all down. That's one view of inspiration. The Mormons believe that Joseph Smith stumbled upon a bunch of gold tablets. And he gets the entire book of Mormon at one time. Christians believe that God worked through the personalities and intellect of man, not putting them in a trance, <laughs> okay? Not overriding them, but using their personalities. That's why Luke sounds different than Paul, and John sounds different than Peter. But that he writes scripture perfectly, it's, it's revealed by God, the Holy Spirit fills these men and they write it. And it happens across 40 different authors, on three different continents, in three different languages, across 1,500 years, in 66 different books, yet it has one theme, one message about one God with one purpose. And we, why do we believe in inspiration? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, the Bible says it's inspired, but so do other books. So two, we'd say the power and influence of the Bible in people's lives and what it does. We'd say number three, very practically, we believe the Bible's inspired because what other group of people would be so honest about their faults and their failures and their flaws? Do you know the entire Bible is basically built on the failure of Israel? And they wrote it. We were idiots. <laughs> We, we forgot about God again. We worshiped a golden calf. I mean, even the New Testament, the New Testament's all about, like, it's like, let me guess, the disciples won't get it again. Let me guess, they're going to all leave Jesus and reject him. Let me guess, you know, he's going to be crucified and die a criminal's death. It's like, why would you write all these things down? Because they're true. So he says that scripture is not inspiring, but that scripture is inspired. And then I want you to see what he says about it. So he says, oh, and, and this, is, this is why this is important. Because if you really believe that the Bible is authentically the word of God, then it's going to have authority. That's the issue. By the way, this is the issue. Most people, the reason they don't believe the Bible is not intellectual, it's moral. And this is good to know. This is true. Now, are there people who have intellectual problems with the Bible? Yes. 
Are there people who genuinely say, help me understand, I got questions about creation, I got questions about evolution. Are there people who say, I struggle, I struggle, help me with exclusivity of Christ. Are there people who say, I wanna talk to you about the total truthfulness and inerrancy of scripture, yes. But most people don't have intellectual problems, they have moral problems. Most people who say they have theological problems with the Bible normally have sexual problems behind the scenes. And so what happens is, we've just gotta be honest about that. And so because what happens when you have the Bible and you say it's authentically the word of God, then you have an authority in your life. And everybody, by the way, has to determine, I mean, this is really the issue, is what's gonna be the authority in your life? And there's only a couple options. Is the authority going to be the state? It's like, well, not in America, you know, thank the Lord. But historically, the state has been the authority in most people's lives for much of human history. I mean, the, the story of a totalitarian dictator, or, you know, emperor or king is, I mean, what, what is Kim Jong-un doing in North Korea? Well, nobody knows for sure, but, but like, he's, he's the highest authority, right? He's everything. What he says goes. It's like, well, we, we, nobody wants, I don't even like to watch documentaries about North Korea that's so scary. That, that's what it's like to live in a world, that's like what it's like to live where the state is the highest authority. Now, we live in a society where we don't say the state's the highest authority. A lot of you think you, you yourself are the highest authority. That's how you function to live. And it's like, we live in America where people, if people ever say something like, well, I could just never believe, it's like, so then it's not true because you don't like it? Well, I just feel, I appreciate your feelings, but we care more about facts. So we, we have all these kind of like, it's like, well, you know, think about it. Your brain weighs three pounds. That should humble you, right? It's like some of you couldn't get into the college you wanted to get into, and you want to be the highest authority in your life? Some of you didn't pass the eighth grade for the first time. Okay, we love you, but it's like, you want to be the highest authority in your life? You've been wrong about things. You've changed your mind already, and you're not even that old. It's like, for all those reasons, it's like, okay, you don't want the state, you don't want yourself. So here's what most people do, because people are lazy. People are lazy. And people don't want to build convictions, because that takes time, and you got to study, and you got to know what you believe, and you got to be able to articulate yourself, and you got to disagree with people, and you don't want to disagree with people, because it's not, it's not fun. So most people just do whatever society tells them. This is why politicians, you know, it's like every year, what's, you know, what is, what's going to be the political stances? It's like, well, I don't know. We're all checking to see what everyone believes. This is why, I think this is why we're obsessed with celebrities. It's like, well, they're beautiful and they've been successful in one domain. So they get on a screen and they tell us what to believe. We're like, uh-huh, that sounds right. Yeah. It's like, well, what happened? Well, the problem with, with society is it's like, well, when are you living and where are you living? Because if you live in the Middle East, I was just talking to someone after the first service and they're visiting us from Saudi Arabia. It's like, wow, okay, well, I think what they believe there is a little bit different than what we believe here. So what do we do? Do we just believe whatever, wherever we are or, wherever, or whenever we are? Because what we believe now in America in 2021 is very different than what Americans believed in 1930, which is very different than what Americans believed in 1850. So ultimately, what, what the reformers, those are the people in the 1500s who helped reform the Christian faith, they, they were very smart, right? They said, we believe, Christians believe in sola scriptura. Now, they didn't say solo, right? Every letter matters. Solo means only scriptures of an authority. Sola means it's the highest authority. It's the Supreme Court. There's other authorities. Parents are authorities. Police are authorities. The government's the authority. Bosses are the authorities. But scripture is the highest authority. And here's why some of you go, why is this important? It's so practically important because I feel like it ends up being the issue in so many marriages. Well, we don't know. How should we discipline our kids? Well, how should we relate in marriage? Well, how should we set up our house with roles and responsibilities? Well, what should our sex lives look like? 
How should we handle our finances? It's like, well, good luck with all that if you don't have, the, if you don't have a higher authority to appeal to. If it's whoever is the better arguer, which happens a lot of times, whoever's the extrovert and more disagreeable person wins, right? And you don't want to win against your spouse, right? Because if you win, then you live with the loser. You don't want to do that. And so it's like, well, what do you do? It's like, well, you have to, this is a conversation we're having all the time. You have to appeal to a higher authority. Okay. What does the scripture say about money? What does the scripture say about sex? What does the scripture say about parenting? What does the scripture say about family? What does the scripture say about roles and responsibilities in the home? And then you have a higher authority. Some of you, that's the issue in your life. You have no higher authority. We always tell women, we warn women, never ever date or marry a man who's not under authority, who is the highest authority. That is a very dangerous man. You want a man who's under authority. That's a healthy person. So finally, we're told how the word of God works. It's profitable. Look what it says. For teaching... And we'll talk all about preaching next week. I'm looking forward to that. But uh, it, it, for teaching, and then most people think that when he says for teaching, the next three words describe teaching. What is teaching? Reproof, correction, training. Well, and this is good to know because every parent's going to be a teacher. And, and if you, you know, any, any, in a relationship, and you know, even in a friendship where there's mutual back and forth in discipleship, you're going to be teaching one another. So this is helpful to know. There's three elements in teaching. And, and when I say this, maybe hopefully it'll start to make sense. You're like, oh, this is why Kyle talks the way he does on Sundays, because this is what we do. Step one is to reproof. Reproof basically means, and you get to spend a lot of time doing this, keep telling people why they're wrong, which is hard. Hey, you know, and a good rule is normally we're thinking about things wrongly, normally. Unless our, our, our mind has been informed by scripture and the Holy Spirit is, is taking the scripture and applying it to our lives, we just need to be told, hey, listen, you're, you're completely wrong with your finances, completely. You're selfish, you're self-consumed, you're over-saving. Or you don't give it, it's like, well, okay, I need a, you're probably right. You love money. I probably do. Okay, well, that's wrong. We need to, that's gonna be unhelpful. That's gonna be hurtful to you and your family. You're, you know, materialism is a lie. If you have more in your hands, you won't be happier in your heart. That's a lie. Materialism and consumerism and individualism are lies and they're harmful. It's like, okay, thanks. Okay, now we need to be corrected. That's all right, well, God, money's a gift. And community is, is needed. And we want you to repent and return. And the, the Bible says, give, save, live. And that's the order of it. And this would be just one example. So then you correct. And that's what people need. They don't need to just be told, you're wrong. Your kids don't need to just be told, you're wrong. They need to be told, hey, th you're thinking about this wrongly. Let me help you turn around and think about this rightly. And then the, the third part is really important, is training. We can't just tell people, you're wrong. And, here's, and, and, and turn around and start walking that way. It's like, well, I've been doing this for like 10 years, right? That's the problem with a lot of people. It's like, we've been functionally relating wrong in our marriage for a decade. It's like, oh, okay, well, we'll have to work on that because it's, it's a long time to do something wrong. You know, some of you have been giving into the same temptation for like a decade and you need help, you know? And, and you've been thinking about all things wrongly. And so the training element has three elements to it. Tables, tools, and tracks. I'll try to make it easy so you can remember it. But basically tables is I need other people, right? We, that's, if you haven't noticed, that's a common theme today. <laughs> that we need each other. Who trains alone? Do you know any like great athlete who trains alone? No, he's got a coach. He's got others who are helping him. He's a part of a team. You know, if you're running, you've got people who pace you. I mean, there, there's, you, you have other people training with you. This is why you need a community group, right? Um, secondly, you need uh, uh, tools. Real practically, like last, when we did our prayer series, we tried to give you a tool because we didn't want to just say pray. You know, get out there and pray. It's like, no, no, well, here's a tool and here's a booklet and yes, it costs money and it costs our staff a lot of time, but we want to give it to you because we think it's actually going to be a helpful tool. 
Uh, this time we gave you a little bookmark. Hey, listen, you don't have to use it, but if you're not consistent in the Bible, here's a tool. It's got little check marks and it's, it takes you through the whole book and, a, and it's, it's bite-sized pieces and we're gonna give you a tool. When we start our next series in a couple weeks, we're gonna give you a different tool for a different discipline in your life. It's like, well, you don't, we don't wanna just say get out there, we wanna say here, we wanna help you. And then the final thing is, is tracks and tracks are just systems and structures to help you long-term. And so for us, it's like, man, the weekenders, a system and structure to onboard people to, into the life of our church. We're putting together a system and structure, structure right now for new believers in our church to help them to understand the basics of our faith. We have a system and structure for elders and for community group leaders. So he says, okay, so we're doing all of this. He says, so that you will be equipped for every good work. What is equipped? Equipped means prepared for what's coming. And it's like, I say this all the time, and most of us are young, and we, you probably don't believe me, but it's like, you know, what's coming in your life? Well, lots of sin and lots of suffering. That's what's coming. Um, you know, they're, those are, they're, they're twins, sin and suffering. They're always connected, right? And so there's, you're going to have suffering in your life, and who knows what's going to happen, right? The more people you love, the more people you're connected to, the more you're going to suffer. That's just, what, that's just a promise. And then you get old, and then illness and injury come, and you suffer some more. And it's like, well, okay, well, I need to be equipped for that. Okay, well, great. I need people who know and love me and people who know and love the Bible, and I need to know and love the Bible. That's what I need if I'm going to make it. And then, um, and then also, there's going to be lots of opportunities. Like, look what he says here in verse 17. He says, so that the man of God, that man or woman, that's just, that means mankind, that means every Christian, so that the man of God is equipped for every good work, or complete, for every good work. The reason we're talking about this today is because when you make that transition from the Bible is not just a word about God, to a genuine submission and surrender to the Bible is the word about God, it begins, it, th that posture toward the word creates change in your heart that you begin to do good works, and there's a lot of good works that need done. Amen. You know, your wife and your husband, they need some good works from you that are, that are wrought out of what God's doing in your life, right? <laughs> your neighbor, your coworker, your classmate, your family, your friends, I mean, who knows? There's just so, it's exciting when you think about it, there's just so much good work. Well, how do you get equipped to do it? You gotta be in community and you've gotta be under the word of God. Let me just practically tell you a couple things to do. Read the Word of God. Here, here, here's, here's six practical things to do with the Word of God. You can just you probably memorize them, but read it, right? It's like, well, that's why we gave you the bookmark. Like, read it. It's number two, hear it. Like, you know, come to church regularly, um, find good podcasts. I mean, there's just, there's no excuse to get the Dwell Bible app. It's a couple dollars a month. I get nothing from it by, <laughs> by advertising this. The Dwell Bible app, if you don't know what it is, it's like three or four dollars a month. You can have it read, the Bible read to you in multiple different translations. I prefer to have an English guy read it to me. It just sounds really cool. Um, you can, it's really, really cool. Um, find, by the way, when you're going to read the Bible, find a Bible translation that you like. What is the best Bible translation? The one you will read. That's the answer. Uh, we use the ESV here. It's because it's an essential, I don't have time to get into this, but it's an essentially literal translation. It's a good mixture between not being too literal, not being too much of a paraphrase. Make sure your kids have an adequate Bible translation. Uh, my daughter, who's nine, she was reading the NIV. Well, the NIV is written at a sixth grade reading level. She's in third grade, about to be in fourth. Um, the ESV is written at a ninth grade reading level. The NLT is written at a third grade reading level. So she was kept asking me all these questions. Dad, what does manifest mean? And then I give her the NLT. She goes, oh, to make visible. It's like, yeah, okay, here, read the NLT, right? Because uh, she stopped having all these questions because she had a translation in her um, that, that she could understand. So you want to read the Bible, you want to hear the Bible, uh, you want to study the Bible. That's why we have you guys in community. That's what get, I'm mentioning again, community groups, DNA groups. Um, you want to memorize the Bible. Uh, that you take parts of it and say, uh, I'm struggling with a certain temptation. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I don't want to look at things I shouldn't look at. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to you hold and hide Scripture in your heart. Meditation is then how you chew on it throughout the week. So you want to meditate. You memorize and then you meditate. And then finally you apply. And as you live it out, you actually understand it more deeply. I don't know where each of you are, but if you are struggling with the Word of God and to, and to make that transition from a Word of God to the Word of God, let me point you to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes as the living Word, and His whole life is about the written Word of God. What does He teach from as His main authority in the Sermon on the Mount? He teaches from the Word of God in the Old Testament. What does He do when He is tempted by the devil? He quotes Scripture, all from the book of Deuteronomy. How many of you, if you had to fight sin just with your knowledge of the book of Deuteronomy, you'd say, I'd be in pretty big trouble, all right? <laughs> Jesus fights sin with that. And then he says, I have to go to the cross. How else would the scripture be fulfilled? The scripture can't be broken. Nobody had a higher view of scripture than Jesus Christ. He even taught all the stuff that's controversial today. He taught about Adam and Eve. He taught about Noah's Ark. He taught about marriage as one man and one woman. He taught about Jonah and the fish. He taught about all the controversial things. What would it look like for you to make that transition from, it's not a word about God, but it's the word of God. This is actually a transition that one of my heroes had to make, Billy Graham. I don't know if you know the story, Billy Graham, um, his best friend and right-hand man was named Charles Templeton. Well, Charles Templeton and him, they had this booming, the Billy Graham Association. It was, he was starting to speak at Youth for Christ rallies. He was starting to fill stadiums. And then Charles Templeton, we would say today, deconstructed his faith. He told Billy, I don't, I, I, he went to Princeton is what he did. True, true story. He went to Princeton and he said, I don't believe the Bible anymore. I don't believe it's the word of God. I believe it's a word about God. And Billy was, this was in the 1950s. You can read about this. Billy was struck to the court. At the time, Billy was leading a, um, he was speaking as a secondary job and he was a college president as his primary job. And looking back, he said he wrestled with not going into full-time ministry anymore, but just being a college president because he was starting to question the word of God. Billy Graham. And someone at last minute called him to speak at a retreat center in California. He said, well, he said, okay, I'll go. He was starting to question the word of God. And then he spoke at that, that retreat center. And then one night, it's, as the story goes, he walks out into the woods of this retreat center. And he finds in the woods, there's now supposedly a plaque there. He finds this stump on the ground, this, this tree stump. And he kneels down on the ground and he starts to pray to God. And he said, the Holy Spirit came over him and he said, Lord, even though I don't understand everything in this book, I'm going to believe it all. And even though I have questions and I don't know all the answers, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to take a leap of faith. I'm going to take a step of faith. It's not a leap, it's a step. You're a good God. You want to reveal yourself. You care about me. There's a lot I do believe in the word. I'm struggling with certain things. I've got certain questions. Well, he said he prayed that. And looking back, he said, I felt a peace like I've never felt before. And he then said, from that day on, there was a power in my life and ministry like there's never been before. I want to give us a chance to, to pray a similar prayer as we prepare for what God has ahead of us. I, I don't know how we're going to be equipped for, I don't know all the good works. I don't know all the sin and all the struggles and all the suffering that we're going to go through. But let's take a moment and pray that prayer that Billy prayed. Lord, I thank you for the faith of Billy Graham, a man who his life could have gone somewhere different because he had some questions, Lord. Lord, in the Bible, we admit, the Bible is a big book. Lord, and there are things, even, even Peter says about Paul's writings, he said there's some things that Paul writes that are difficult to understand. Lord, we just come right now and we just want to recommit as a church, Lord, 
We're only going to be as strong. We're only going to be as deep. We're only going to be as healthy as our commitment to the Word of God. Lord, we know that in every generation, there's a battle for the Bible. Lord, I pray for people right now just to recommit, Lord, to recommit in their marriages. The Word of God's going to be the authority. Recommit in their struggle with an addiction or their struggle with sin. The Word's going to be the authority. Recommit as they think about their lost friends and neighbors who need to hear Christ, recommit that they believe the Bible. We believe in the exclusivity of Christ. We, need, we believe in the need for the gospel to go forward, Lord. We also believe in the hope of heaven. And we believe in Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name. Amen.